Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Belly Show. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the gay Gail Rudolph. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you so much, Pete, for having me on your show. Listen, absolutely delighted. You are the other side of the, well, the other side of the Atlantic anyway. So tell us, Gail, where, where are you? Who are you? And what do you do? I actually am in Palo Alto, California. So uh, I am a uh, executive coach, author, speaker, and trainer, and uh, just really want to add value to other people. Wow, that's beautiful. So to give our readers a bit more of a description, so Gail Rudolph is the author of the new best-selling book. Best-selling is the it's just happened, right? So that's um, that, did you say that on the um, well? Tell us where where have you gone bestseller. Uh, Wall Street Journal and USA Today. Fantastic. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Wow. So your new book is Power Up, Power Down, How to Reclaim Control and Make Every Situation a Win-Win. Um, Gail has spent years as an executive professional moving, maneuvering the power dynamics that's happened in all interpersonal interactions. One day she had an epiphany. Nobody takes our power. We give it away. The go-to expert on how to harness interpersonal power and create win-win outcomes. Gail's mission is to help those who often feel overlooked and underestimated. Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this. So first of all, tell us, what is your fire in your belly? Uh, It is about learning about and harnessing your interpersonal power. You see, I was the youngest of four children my eldest being 18 years older than I am. So when I started out as a young child, I automatically by default didn't have my voice heard and felt like I didn't have any power or any control over being heard, over having a seat at the table. Um, And actually uh, it impacted me from a very, very young age. And then when I played that out and I learned some bad habits, I might add to that, you know, (laughs) as a child, you learn to scream, you learn to yell, you learn to try to get attention in any way you possibly can. And uh, as I got older, when I got into the workforce, what happened was I was I was having the same struggles. And it really came to me one day when I was the associate executive director at a community foundation and the executive director, which was the only other employee, was part time. So I'm full-time, he's my boss, he's part-time. Already a bad setup and situation. But I had actually advanced the foundation uh, and had met our three-year goals in a little bit over than, uh, than a year. And I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing a great job. It's time for me to ask for a raise. So I actually went to my boss and I said, hey, you know, we've, we've, gone three years now we've met our three-year goals and I'm just a little over a year I really think it's time that we talk about me having a raise and he looked at me Pete and he said well don't you get child support 
Well, I was a single mom at the time and I was dumbfounded. I'm like, what does child support have to do with the job I'm doing here? And I actually said that to him. But I continued, you know, for several weeks to actually go to him and ask him what what you know, what about getting a raise? We've met our goals. And then I was delighted one day when I looked at the board agenda and I saw employee raises on the uh, um, the board agenda. And then I was completely depleted when I when I went to the board meeting and found out that that was a raise for him and not for me. So here I was doing the majority of the work. He was getting the majority of the credit. And I didn't know how to really harness my power and take control of that situation. So I ultimately ended up leaving the organization. But as I went throughout my career, although I was very, very successful in my career and set in, in C-suites, what I found was this frustration that happened in me. I was sitting at the table, but I wasn't being heard. I wasn't being given the voice that I needed to just to, to be able to give and bring my best to work. And it was actually out of that journey that I, that I woke up and said, wait a minute, we don't, nobody takes our power away. We actually give it away. There's things that we can do. And so I decided to write a guidebook to help other people. Mm. Oh, wow. That's, it's interesting. What, what's come straight to my mind is why weren't you being heard? You know, we, we, and I think women, especially unknowingly give our power away. We do things naturally. Society has kind of trained us to do different things that actually give our, give our power away. One of the biggest things that I talk about is taking some lessons from the animal kingdom, right? In the animal kingdom, people, the animals get big, right? When they want to be powerful. So think about the peacock, you know, full spread, you know, beautiful feathers, or they can be trained in. And when I talk about power, I'm not talking about dominance or control. I'm just talking about the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or a course of event. And women, what we have been taught to do is to become small. We sit with our legs crossed, a lot of times our hands in our lap, our papers are directly in front of us. Where if you would watch and if you pay attention when you go to a meeting, men tend to spread out, they'll spread their papers out. And I've even watched women in a meeting where somebody will come sit down and they will move their stuff so that they have even less space just to give somebody else more space. And it was those things that I started to observe and to watch as people were interacting with each other, how they responded that I was like, wow, you know, there's some actual physical things that we can do to harness our power. You know, it's, it's so true when you, when you look at that and uh, how much of it is self-induced and how much of it is coming from the industry. And I'm going to say the industry just because it, it is, or it has been male dominated and, and male uh, focused. You know, there, I'm not going to lie. There is some that comes from the industry, but there's also some from us. When I talk mm. about power, I'm talking about that harnessing our interpersonal power. It's, always present. I have been in situations where there is definitely a male dominant kind of ego going on, but I can walk away knowing I held my own personal power. See, power is kind of two sides of the same coin. And I don't think we understand that. And that's where the, the title of the book comes, Powering Up or Powering Down. And choosing taking that space between a stimulus and response and actually choosing whether we want to power up during that time or power down makes all the difference in the world. 
So let me explain a little bit. Powering up is a choice we make to step into a fuller presence, you know, such as making direct eye contact or taking up that space that I talked about. Powering down, on the other hand, is intentionally changing our stance, maybe expressing empathy or giving others a chance to interrupt you or using a a softer tone of voice. You see, powering down, we've often viewed as being very, very bad or something we don't want to do. But I'm here to tell you that powering down could be a very, very effective tool as long as we intentionally use it and hold our power to make people feel more at ease. So there's some great people in our history that were wonderful power downers. Uh, Martin Luther King, I know you're on the other side of the ocean, but Martin Luther King was one of them. He was a master at powering down and look how influential he was. Well, that's it, because I mean, to, to be influential doesn't mean you have to be the loudest person in the room, right? Right. And and I always say sometimes when you raise your voice or you lose your temper, you actually give your power away. You actually, when you lose control, because power is about yourself. It's about having control of yourself and how you're interacting with other people. That's super interesting. So, I mean, talking about controlling yourself, I mean, is, is there um is there a risk that you, you sort of step out of congruency because you, you're trying to fit a role, right? You know, uh, potentially, if it's not in your natural situation. So you're trying to be the role of the leader or the role of the the empath or the role of the engineer, whatever whatever the position is, right? So is there a risk that you come out of congruency? No, because when we talk about power, it's something um, that happens inside of us. And it's actually being very authentic in who we are. It's about making choices. So think about it this way. When you are in a room and somebody walks into the room, have you ever felt that there's just a power? They might be a celebrity. They don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything. They're just present. You know that they're very sure of themselves. That's the energy that we talk about when we talk about power. It ebbs and flows in every conversation that we have. Pete, you shared with me before the show that you have some some young children. Well, I can guarantee you that you have power uh, dynamics happening within uh, your interactions with your children all the time. Well, we have them, whether we even realize them in every interaction that we have. The idea is to use the power dynamics for good, not for control, not to try to dominate or manipulate other people, but for each to walk away feeling empowered to feeling valuable as if they have something good to bring to the table. And that's anything for than being authentic and who you actually are. I'm not suggesting that I actually have power of my kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, it's like what who you are at work and who you are in front of your kids is completely different. They'll dress you down in seconds. But <laughs> so just to put this into context for me, see when you say powering up power down, is this the inner game or the outer game? I mean, is this is this powering yourself up and down, or is it your, you know, your interaction with others, or is it you know, powering up and powering down others around you. Which sort of, what's your main focus here? Actually, it's a little bit of all of it. So when we talk in the book, we talk about, first of all, that uh, you have to actually have your right mindset. You can't live with an I can't mentality. You can't, you know, be like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't believe I'm good or I'm bad or, you know, I don't have any power. You have to change, first of all, your internal view of it. 
And I always tell people that their, their motto should be today is the day I take my power back. Um, so it has to start within us because if we don't believe we have power again, you know, we're not going to be able to influence those people around us. However, when we talk about power, we talk about power being the capacity or the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or uh, a course of events. So what we are, we can't be who we are without it extending out to other people. So when we, when we talk about power, it starts inside us, but it also extends out to be how people interact with, with us. So I always say, you cannot control other people. The law of power is that the only person you have control over is yourself. But if you can control your interaction with other people, you can change their experience with you. And by changing that experience, then you can start changing your workplace, your community, and ultimately the world. You know, it's so true. And, and but I still want to, you know, go on through and saying you, you can't experience outside of yourself, right? So the experience is what you choose it to be. You know, because if we have an experience outside of us, it's called an out-of-body experience. And that's has a whole different that has a whole different topic, right? <laughs> so how we choose to take on somebody else's beliefs, expectations, whatever, right, is our choice. We can't change outside, we can only change inside. We can only change ourselves. We waste so much time and energy trying to change other people. Mm. I mean, we really do. I, I see it every day. We're trying to get other people to do things or behave. And the only one we really have control over is ourselves. When did the change come from you for you, Gail? You know, mine was a gradual change. I learned this, but it was really in a meeting when I watched um, a, a, a board kind of happen, uh, a situation in a, a board of directors meeting. So I had, uh, there was one male board of directors uh, that had actually said that he was hosting the male members of the foundation staff to a retreat. And he was only uh, offering it to the male members of the staff because he actually said they are the true leaders. And I was a consultant at the time, so I could not, you know, I couldn't say anything. And I, I kind of watched this unfold and I'm, I'm watching just the women in the room being completely depleted, including the other women board members. They didn't know how to respond. And I'm watching the situation. I'm like, they're being quiet. And by being quiet, I was realizing they're giving their power away. And it just, it was, it was a real big epiphany for me to say, hey, you know what? There's ways to regain our power without confronting people, without butting heads with people. We just have to be creative on how we do it. So in the meeting a little bit later, when I realized that nobody else was going to actually step up and say anything, I interjected and I said, hey, you know, we have something for the male board members of the team. What do we have for the female board members of the team? What's going on? Just nonchalantly ask a question, no pointing fingers, no anything. And it was amazing because one of the female board members said, you know, I know this great place that's that's doing some training. Let's get them involved. And, and, and it ended up they still ended up going two different places to get their training. We probably didn't change that other board member's mind. But I tell you what did happen is that team realize that there was just enough power with each one and, and modeling then for that board to be able to say, hey, there's a way to address these issues without butting heads and creating so much tension. 
it's yeah it, it is powerful but it takes a voice too right it tell you know because change takes uh, conflict is not the right thing but it takes somebody to actually to speak up or to break the pattern right you know because otherwise things are you're at risk of never changing if you let people just figure it out for themselves sometimes you need to have a catalyst there yeah and the other thing that i've noticed especially when it comes to power and it comes to dynamics and of course i'm a female so i deal a lot with the male and female dynamics but it's that people say and do things and they're not intentionally trying to do it they have um a lot of times they're just caught off guard and they say the wrong thing I worked with a lady who actually was trying to get a promotion and we were really working on her power. She was struggling with her own uh, self-esteem, her own self-worth, kind of her own mindset around what she was doing. But she was excellent at what she did. And uh, she went to her boss and said, you know, I think it's it's time. You know, I want to I want to actually see what I can do about moving up in the organization. And he said, well, you're really great at your job and what you do, but I just don't know if you have the ability, you know, to, to, uh, you know, work with the other team. And she came back to me and I'm kind of like, well, that's kind of an oxymoron. You can't be great at your job and not be able to work with others. It just, <laughs> she was just totally dumbfounded, but I coached her a little bit and she went to a meeting, uh, with her, with her boss at the time. And they sat down and they were working on a project and it just so happened it was a night meeting. They had pulled together a dinner with a lot of volunteers and she happened to be the only female there. Well, because there were only two staff members, her boss and herself, they sat at, you know, kind of opposite ends, but she didn't sit at the end of the table. She kind of sat to the side and uh, cause she had the president of the board sit at the other end of the table, honoring his position. And her boss, not thinking, not even realizing it, said, well, you know, this person is here because she's taking notes. You know, at, at another time, she would have been completely depleted, like, OK, here I am in front of these people. I can't say anything. I can't do anything. I, I can't put my boss on. But we had been coaching. We had been talking. And I said, there's always a way to do it without confronting other people to make a win win. So ultimately, she said, that's right. I'm here to take notes because I'm here because I'm building out the strategy for this project. So I'm probably going to ask you to speak up. I may interrupt you at times. I may ask you to repeat. But that's because I want to get the absolute best strategy we can for this project moving forward. Two days later, her boss called her in and said, we need to look at moving you up in the organization. She reclaimed her power without creating a, a power struggle. And that's that's beautiful, right? That's just a reframing exercise, essentially, to you know, to set that back out, set out the intention, right? Right. Yeah. Just, I mean, just to clarify here, I mean, is when you when you is is this focused at females in in the business world or powering up, powering down? Is it is it uh, is it is it you know, male female doesn't really matter? Is is it is power? Is it always going to be predominantly sort of female based? 
Well, um, I wrote the book from a female perspective. I really wrote it for women and minorities in the workplace. <laughs> However, uh, when the book was actually written, what I get is I get a lot of males that come to me and said, man, I really love the awareness around this. I can really watch this because it's about creating win-win situations. The book has actually become more prevalent in, in males than I ever actually dreamed that it would be. Um, but power is present. It's always present. It's always available to us. It's that ebb and flow of the energy that happens back and forth and being, being conscious of it and making choices is what we're talking about. So that's a human trait, not necessarily a male or female trait. Mm. And, but I mean, it is also important, I suppose, to recognize that, you know, men and women have different talents as well, right? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. there is empathy levels, you know, intuitive levels, um, you know, which is very much typically in, in a, in, you know, in a female's power set, you know, their, their tool set. Right. You know, and, and so I suppose it's, it's, I'm just in my mind, I'm just trying to say, you know, how do you, you know, what is the ideal organization that, that basically gets the best of every individual, regardless of their sex or orientation or minority or majority, whatever, how, you know, how do you do that? Well, I think it's, again, I, Pete, I think it starts with us. I think that nobody gives us a power. Our power actually belongs inside of us. So it's about claiming that power, knowing when to lower your voice, right? Knowing when to sit back and take up more space, knowing when to be smaller and lean forward knowing when to express that empathy, when to make eye contact, when not to make eye contact. Um, there's some very basic things that I tell women when they come, when they come to a meeting, don't bring every bag, you know, a bunch of bags. Men don't show up in a meeting with a bunch of bags. They show up with the notebook they need and a pen and a pen. And, you know, don't become, don't become the bag lady is actually what I tell them. Don't be the bag lady. Women tend to come up with a bag and their purse and something like that. Don't do that. Come in. The other thing that, that we've learned is, um, although they, they sound great and we'd love it. Heels, loud shoes actually make a difference too. As you're coming down the hallway, they can actually give your power away, especially if you're going to a board meeting rushed or being hurried when you come into, uh, a meeting because you're you're out of breath so i tell people i don't care if you ran up a, a set of stairs you make sure you come in calm and in control of yourself because we're talking about in control of yourself there's never going to be a perfect organization that's going to be all inclusive there's always going to be these problems there's always going to be people who are more dominant than other people they're going to be people that are more shy that are more introverted that don't have a hard time expressing what they need to say and it's about not just about expressing what you need to say in the appropriate way, but it's about learning how to get the other person to listen to you naturally. I mean, a smaller or a, a lower voice. Putting in pauses. Smiling. Using um, inclusive or not using inclusive language. Those are all different ways that we can take our power up or power down. It sounds like it's hard, but I promise you it's not. I have a list of how to power up and power down in the book. <laughs> it's that easy to just take a list and be able to use it. 
who would be a good example of doing this naturally? I mean, you're, you're essentially you're, you know, the, the, the best representation of this. Well, the absolute best representation, I think, is Jesus. I mean, I, I know that we don't want to go probably on a religious platform, but I, I referenced Martin Luther King earlier, too, because they maintained their power. They were heard. Um, but they did it in a way that it didn't require dominance or force or making people feel uncomfortable with what they're, what they were doing. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that, that actually, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the loudest person, you know, it, in fact, quite often it could be the quietly spoken person, which is counterintuitive, right? Cause you think, God, you know, mm -hmm. hold on they're they're not the loudest person in the room, but yet they're commanding the power. Right? does that happen. You know, and it's about understanding our human tendency. So when I'm with people, I will ask them to, to get into pairs and stand up and put their hands next to each other. You know, so they've got both hands, you know, the other person's hands are next to them. And then I will ask person A to push. And then I'll stop and I'll say what happened. And inevitably, person B pushed back. Well, when we understand that dynamic, when we understand that when people are feeling pushed, when people are feeling that that there's power being over them, that we don't we want to avoid that power struggle. What we want to do is then we want to power down to be able to get done what we need to get done. Funny story, I had some problems with my car license and it was actually a dealer mistake, but I had called, I wasn't getting much help with it. So I decided it was time to go over to the dealer and see if I could get some help. Already knew walking in that they were going to push back. And I had already spent two days on the, the phone with the DMV of California. Um, and, and they said, this is the best way to get it fixed. So I went over and they had a, a, you know, a reception area and I walked up and of course they gave me a lot of pushback. So I, you know, first thing I did was tilt my head back and just kind of look down my nose a little bit, not like this, but, <laughs> but just kind of tilt my head back a little bit because that's a power up. But when you tilt it down and look up, that's a power down, very subtle move. And then I used genuine curiosity. How am I supposed to answer an officer if I get pulled over and my temporary plates are expired? They'd give me an answer and they'd say, but, but you didn't answer my question. How, what am I supposed to say to an officer? Because he's going to tell me this is my responsibility. Kept a very low voice. Well, eventually they did go get somebody and they set me down at a table, small three chair table. So first thing I did was got to power up. So I decided when, before I had gone in that I was only going to use the power up tools I had in the book. Wasn't going to do anything else. I was going to just power up, power down from the list. So I spread out. I put my purse over here. I kind of leaned back, crossed my legs. You know, I just spread out. I took two of this little small three-person table. So the person came up and what was really interesting, and I know it's conditioning, is when they sat down, I naturally wanted to go like this and lean forward. And I had to force myself to continue to stay powered up because I needed to move my agenda on. But then as I noticed, as he, as he pushed back, when, when we were actually making somewhere and I noticed that he was getting agitated, I would then lean forward to him. 
I'd start using inclusive language. Well, we need to solve this problem. How can we work on this together? And then I might go back and, and spread back out and say, you know, I need I need to know how to answer the police officer. Used a lot of questions, but only using my tone of voice, my body language, uh, my facial expressions, smiling, not smiling, tilting of my head. And, you know, we got the problem solved so much to the point that the general manager called me the next day and said, we understand we could have had, we, we made quite a big mistake with your license, but, you know, my staff said they absolutely loved working with you. They had no idea that all I was doing was managing my reaction in the situation. That's powerful, isn't it? Just as you say, it's how you turn up and how you how you show up, right? It's it's how you show up. It's a choice that we make to harness that power. Hmm. Is is it always a choice? It is always a choice, but there is one thing that confuses us uh, with power. We confuse boundaries with power all the time. And I really refer to boundaries as kind of that secret sauce uh, when it comes to power. So boundaries are simply, you know, the limits we set around our time and our energy and our money. But so many times we haven't set our boundaries or we haven't defined our boundaries. And when we have people coming through uh, and, and pushing against our boundaries, then what happens is that it's very hard for us to hold our power. We actually give our power away. So I think of boundaries. Uh, I have to think of my father when I think of boundaries. <laughs> my father was miraculous at, at uh, grooming our backyard. I mean, he would, he would go out there. He was, he would walk it. He would look at it and he would pick up these little rocks. Now at that time, they didn't have the catchers on the mower. So rocks were dangerous because they could fly out and hit somebody or break a window or, or damage something. So he would meticulously go out and pick up these rocks. They didn't belong in our yard. But what was interesting about our backyard is that our family knew exactly where our property line ended and our neighbor knew exactly where his ended. So my dad would mow right up to the property line. My neighbor would row right up to their property line. Anybody who looked beyond wouldn't know where the property line ended or began, but my family knew theirs. They knew where, where and that's where when we look at boundaries, we need to know where we end and somebody else's start. What are we willing to do? How are we willing to manage our time and our energy and our money? And where does where do where do we stop and where do others begin? And to graciously, when somebody does throw that rock over into our yard, be able to kind of gently and graciously toss it back to say that's not where that's not where I'm at. We see this a lot in the workplace. Here comes Meg on Friday afternoon, right? And she says, Gail, I had this problem with this client. I've got this due next week. I've got plans for the weekend. Can you help me out with this? And if I have helped her out in the past, I'm going to be very, very inclined to say yes. But, but, but I had plans of my own. And many times we change our plans to help somebody else out with something that's not our responsibility. 
So being able to gently say, you know, Meg, I'd really love to help you out with this problem if you would have been able to give me two-day notice, but I have plans too. So next time when you need me to help, please give me a two-day notice. To be able to gently give that back to her because we accept other people's responsibility that's not our own. And that that actually plays into our, our power. Same thing with if you say you're not going to take phone calls or emails after 7 p.m. at night or on weekends and you continually do it, you can't be mad at other people when they send you or call you during that time. <laughs> so it's it's holding our boundaries and it's it's really the secret sauce to um, to holding our interpersonal power. Well, what would be the, the, the symptoms or characteristics of, first of all, a powered down person and then the same for a powered up person? Well, again, if you're using it appropriately, you're, you're, they're both sides of the same coin so that you want to do it. What I would say is that we naturally gravitate towards different power up or power down characteristics. So uh, if you are automatically sitting small, if you're keeping your head down, if you're um, even, even excessive note taking, if somebody's got their head in the book and they're just taking every single note um, and never looking up and making eye contact, that can be a way to power down. And I'm not saying taking notes is a way to power down. I'm saying that excessive note taking where you're never making eye contact where other people are more dominant, right? They automatically take up space. They automatically have a firm, louder voice. They're always making eye contact. Um, so we naturally gravitate towards certain tools, certain uh, things that we do on the power spectrum, whether that be power up or power down. The idea is that all of these power tools are available to us in each and every situation. The key is to practice ones that you don't normally use and then become comfortable with using them appropriately in the situation. It's really a lot easier than you think. I mean, if you're used to going in and setting very small, you just make a conscious effort to, to sit bigger and larger. And what I tell people is find the ones that you automatically use, mark them, and then pick three on the other side of the coin that you aren't normally using and practice those. And once you get those down, then you practice some of the others. But it's just being conscious. Remember I said when I was at the, the dealer, right? I had, I noticed I automatically wanted to get smaller and lean forward. Where is a power down? Where if I'm sitting back, spread out, that's a power up. But even you'll see the difference when I sit back now, it's become automatic for me to lower my voice and use more pauses. And that changes the dynamic. I also tell people this is actually not in the book, but I tell people it makes a difference on um, how you say different words, too. So I was teaching my sister this last night, whether you say the words on an inhale or an exhale, and this can be a great way to gain your power if you're feeling like your power is out of control. So many times, especially for women, we tend to speak on the inhale. We answer the phone, hello, where we're breathing in as we're saying the word hello. 
But if we say and do it on the exhale, hello, our voice automatically becomes lower. And what I tell women, especially when I'm working with them or people that are apt to have a problem with powering up is take that breath in and conscious on, on be conscious of speaking on the out breath that automatically will give you a ability to, to lower your voice, to lower your tone. And it also gives you a second to, to um, regain yourself, regain your composure because we get emotional about things and it's partly about keeping your emotions intact. I mean, is there, um, when these steps are done, I mean, is, is there a necessity do you think to actually to, reduce the, the some of the feminine traits um in the workplace or do you think they can go hand in hand i think they can go hand in hand because that's your authentic self if you don't show up being your authentic self i'm a female there's no way i can be anything but a, a female right i'm gonna have certain traits uh as you talked earlier i'm probably a little bit more intuitive than most men not all men but most men yeah. um but we need to show up as to who we are being authentic. So one example that I use is uh, Black Widow in the Avengers movie, Affinity Wars, right? She, there's a scene in Affinity Wars where she is fighting, she's killing people. She is the most powerful, wicked warrior you can possibly see, right? And then what happens is we see her because her friend, the Hulk, Bruce Boehner, is stuck in being the Hulk and she's trying to bring him back. And even though Bruce could turn on her, right, and could probably kill her in an instant, we see her going from this, this fierce, fierce warrior and walking over to her friend and putting her hand on the Hulk's arm to bring her friend Bruce back. So see, she was using the power up um, she was using those attributes, but then she turned and realized that this didn't call for a power up. This called for power down, being gentle, being kind. And that's what's so awesome about powering up and powering down is they are different sides of the same coin, male, female, no matter what our race is, no matter what our age is. This is the energy that ebbs and flows and it's available to all of us. And it's just choosing that time to use it. Is, is there one that is slightly more powerful than the other? Do you think? I mean, if, if you if you had to choose a, a you know a characteristic set of power up or power down, which which would you choose? Well, I've had to learn to do more power up traits. I was automatically doing the power down traits, but now that I've learned how to move them back and forth, I would almost say the powering down traits. Uh, well. It depends. The powering down traits are um, they're, they're, They can be extremely, extremely helpful because what happens is that because we have that natural tendency for people to butt up against each other, mm. I think that that powering down becomes very, very important and vital. See, if we're defaulting to powering down, then we're giving our power away. If we're powering down as a choice, as a reaction to level the playing field, to harness the energy in the room so that it doesn't become a conflict, then, then powering down is just extremely, extremely uh, beneficial. 
and effective. See, I think that we really need to know that, you know, the law of power, it's, it's limitless and it's there. It's for us to grab. It's just a choice whether we're going to grab it in a power up or power down way. And if we can, um, you know, use the right and assess the right power tool for the right situation, it becomes a way of life for us. And then not only are we empowered, but we end up empowering other people around us. There's so many people, I suppose. And I'm just thinking here, you know, just something, you know, part of part up, part down. And maybe it's more religious figures, uh, you know, religious spirituality, et cetera, that are naturally quite quiet, you know, so they're not sort of shouting in your face, you know, um, I know that's not all the power up characteristics as such, you know, but the power down is, you know, wisdom comes from silence, as you say, it comes from the pause, it comes from contemplative thought, you know, and, and from genuine curiosity. Mm. Think, think about, think about your children, right? Or my sister used to work in an Alzheimer's unit. If you, if your children have their mind made up about something and you go at them and tell them that that's what they're supposed to do, what happens, right? They sit down right where they're at. <laughs> so this tells us that this is an innate thing. It's not something, it's something we've kind of conditioned ourselves out of, just like boundaries, you know, where, where no as a toddler became a bad thing. So we get older and we never say no. And we end up doing all these things that we shouldn't probably be doing. But, you know, people automatically, they don't want their power taken away. Nobody likes that feeling of dominance. So what do you do with a child, right? That says, no, I'm not going to do it. And they cross their arms and they plop down on the floor, right? Well, one of the things that you might do is you go sit down on the floor with them and you ask them some questions about what's going on. And if we understand that that's power, you know, that's the power energy that's going back and forth. Then a lot of times when people are doing that in the workplace or we're, we're seeing them do that somewhere else, we can actually manage that by our choices that we make. Now, I'm not going to say that there's not <laughs> some people out there that are just going to want to power over you and they're just going to steamroll over you. That's going to happen and there's not anything you can do. But that's that's when you go back to you only have the, the ability to change yourself. But that's it, right? You have a choice. You know, if you if you choose to be a contemplated person to respond in your own time, as you say, to to respond on the outbreath as opposed to, you know, sort of, you know, that that aspect. Well, then, you know, you can break state, right? So you, you choose what what you take on board then. Exactly. And we actually I, in the book, I've actually outlined six different personalities. We call them personality traits. We don't like to use labels. I tell everybody, if you're going to label somebody, you label them as friend um, because um, they we've actually probably always been at least one of these uh, traits or or kind of scenarios that happen in the workplace. But then to talk about how to power up, power down. So one of them is uh, the toxic pollinator. 
we gave them cute little fun names. Um, and, uh, uh, but a toxic pollinator is somebody that actually will go around and people do this without even realizing they're doing it. I was upset about something the other day and I talked to somebody about it. And then I started to talk to somebody else and I went, wait, I'm being a toxic pollinator and I'm not even thinking about it. But what happens is that they're, they go around and they sow a little discord here and they sow a little discord there and they sow a little discord here. And then when the team comes comes back together, there's this big blow up, right? And everybody's going, what happened here? Didn't realize everybody was so emotionally charged about this. Well, because the toxic pollinators, like been a little bee going around pollinating, um, that you get this problem. Well, how do you handle a toxic pollinator? How do you, do you power up or you power down? Well, with a toxic pollinator, you actually power up and you actually do some things where you bring what they've said before to the forefront. You actually help them confront things they've said before. Most of the time, these individuals are great individuals, part of the organization. They're people you don't want to leave. Um, you want them as part of your team. And most of them are wonderful team players. They're doing a behavior that they don't realize they're doing. So by bringing that back to the forefront, by, by powering up in a way where you're not becoming confrontive, but you're reminding them of things they've said, how they've said they wanted to be a team player in a public situation, you're actually using a lot of tendencies and you can power up with that toxic pollinator and decrease that behavior without ever really having a conversation with them. On the other hand, we have a character called the snaker. These are the people that are humorous and fun. You want them in your meetings because you are always laughing. They're the life of the party. They're great people to have around, but you have to watch out because they want to be the life of the party. They usually don't do a lot of their work and they can come up and bite you and take credit for something you've done. Well, with these people, the last thing you want to do is power up. You want to use a power down because if you start going head to head with them, the snake is going to bite you. So we talk about ways to actually power down with the snaker. You're saying you, you've covered this in five or six different um, we have traits? Six, six. So we have the toxic pollinator, the snaker. We have the info uh uh, info hoarder. The info hoarder is the person in the workplace that gives you part of the information, all of the things that you need to do your, your job, except maybe a couple of key pieces of information so they can come in later and save the day because they know the answer to those things. Um, my daughter, as funny as it was, uh, actually came home uh, a couple of weeks ago and said, mom, I think the culture in this organization I'm working are info hoarders. Nobody shares all the information. I said, what are you going to do about it? She goes, I know exactly what to do about it. I'm going to make sure I talk to several people and get all the information. But but there's key peoples that the info hoarders, they hold a little bit of the information. The other another one is the insulter offloader. The insulter offloader is an interesting character because what they do is they, they reel at our emotions, right? So they insult us and then they have a, they offload their work on us because we're reeling from the insult. I see this done with women a lot. And what happens is somebody comes up and goes, oh, well, you missed that. And we're like, well, you know, I, I was trying, I got caught up. And then they go, hey, you know what? Can you help me with this report? And they'll, they'll 
slap down a piece of work for you to do. Um, I saw it in a uh, healthcare situation. I was visiting a family and the sister actually was in charge of the healthcare. The brother was in charge of all the financial things and she had missed something. I don't know if she'd missed something. The, 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 the gentleman was in his nineties. He was going to pass at some point anyway. Um, but you know, the brother actually came up to the sister and said, well, I guess you didn't see this coming. Well, she was exhausted. She was already trying to deal with healthcare issues in a, in a situation where somebody was dying. She was, she was overloaded as it was, and it really insulted her. And I could just see it on her face. She took it deep and personal. And then he said, oh, and by the way, I've been trying to change their, my mom and dad's address on uh, this thing. And every time I go on, it's like a two hour wait. Can you do this for me? And she said, okay. And she took it. And that I was like, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the ultimate insulter offloader, right? They get us reeling. Um, another one is the negatron. These are the rain on your parade, right? These go to the core of our own belief system. They have a way of tapping into we're not good enough. And we need to realize that, that the negatrons are, it's more about them than it is about us. But they actually, we have to look at our own emotions with them and, and make sure. And then power up or power down, both with the negatron, depending on the situation. And then my last one, which is, which is my favorite. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite because I've probably been extremely um, guilty of it. Or if it's my favorite because it has the cute, uh, cute little name. It's called the swoop and poop. So the swoop and poop as a leader, I was, I was bad at doing this. I'd come into the office and I, I swoop in and I'd poop on them and I'd leave again. So the movie Top Gun, have you ever seen the movie Top Gun? Mm -hmm. Remember when Maverick and Goose swarm the tower and what happens to the officer in the front, the coffee goes all down the front of them. Well, this is kind of what happens with the swoop and poop. So they come in. I see board members do this, too. They come in. They very rarely are in the office, but they come in. They create all kinds of havoc when they're there. Usually very get very emotional, get everybody all upset. Somebody's not doing everything right. And then they disappear just as quick and easy as it is. But the, the team is left with this kind of reeling like, oh, my gosh, you know what just happened? Um, there's everything that's going on. Board members would do it. And one of the things about the swoop and poop is they they don't they don't do it. They're very rare about doing it. They don't come in every day because then you'd get used to it, but they only come in every once in a while, which I think is what gives them their power because they're scarce. And there's a scarcity principle that uh, Dr. Cialdini, uh, who wrote Influence, known as the Godfather of Influence, talks about. And I think that that plays with the swoop, swoop and poop is that people come in and we reel with them. But being able to, to power up or powering down, recognizing kind of these different scenarios helps you to be able to prepare to power up or power down when you deal with them. I love that. I mean, tell me this, the, the, the insult or offloader, I mean, that, that sounds almost, that is narcissistic, right? I mean, that's. It, uh, well, narcissism is a personality disorder. I think this is a way that people actually get other people to do their work for them. And I don't know if it's so much narcissistic because I think sometimes that we need other people to help us with our work because we may not know how to do it or, or we don't want to do the time. Um, but 
I think the insulter offloader is definitely a trait that um, that is a learned behavior. So instead of people asking for help and being okay with that other person setting their boundaries and realizing that they need to take responsibility for what they're in charge of, I think that they use it as a tactic to uh, dump their work on other people kind of a, a way to bust through other people's boundaries. That's why it's so important. We know, I mean, if when we're talking in that medical situation, if that sister had said, no, I deal with the medical, you deal with the business. That's it. How easy it would have been for her to respond and not play into that insulter offloader kind of tactic or scenario. It, it does. It, it comes down to control too, isn't it? Because I mean, I suppose with, with you know men and women, I mean it's the usual ones from Mars and ones from Venus, right? You know, but <laughs> women are traditionally, you know, just more empathetic, more connection based, more love based, right? You know, so and and men are different. So unfortunately, you know, it's you know, the characteristics naturally will be that often women will want to not serve, but I mean, to, to, to help, right. To, to sort of connect, to help, to, to be there, which unfortunately if misconstrued or, or if not managed correctly could be deemed as uh, you want to serve me, well, which, which is very different to help me, you know? Um, so it's, it's almost, the education almost needs to come from the male side rather than. Well, yes and no, but uh, because we still have the power to control ourselves. So when we talk about people that are busting through our boundaries, right, we have the power and control to hold those property lines. Mm. I mean, we, we have a choice whether we're mowing the neighbor's yard or not. I mean, and that's, and, or we're going to allow them to throw their work or their things over into our yard. I mean, the same thing if they dump their, their, you know, a uh, bag of grass into our yard, right? We, we have a choice about that. And that's where I think that, that boundaries for women is probably the hardest thing that we've ever learned. Um, because we've kind of been told or taught, socialized to say yes, and to always be helpful well, we do that a lot of times to our own detriment because being a people pleaser can actually hurt our health. And that goes down to holding our boundaries. When we say yes to things we should be saying no to, when we're taking that responsibility, we're, we're spreading ourselves way too thin. And that impacts ourselves of, of um, and it impacts our own health. I mean, it gives us additional stress. We start getting headaches. We start getting stomach problems. We start getting high blood pressure. We're tired all the time. We start having sleep issues. You know, we get, uh, we start getting very nervous or very anxious. Um, we create bad habits with caffeine, you know, um, it, it's, we have difficulty concentrating and thinking because we're not made as humans to be spread all over the place. We're not made to say yes to everything. And I think that many times like I said, at, at two years old, we're taught that no is a bad word. And I think that, that somewhere along the way, that kind of gets conditioned out of uh, males 
or more highly dominant females. And those of us that are uh, not so highly dominant, you know, we continue to think that we're here and we're supposed to say, yes, we're supposed to help. We're supposed to always uh, be there to lend a helping hand. And by holding our boundaries, we actually are taking care of ourselves, ultimately bringing a better version of ourselves to the table because we're not exhausted. We're not tired. We're not having headaches. I mean, people pleasing falls into a bit of a interesting category, right? Because that's sort of intentional giving the power away to hope that it comes back. Um, and and that's that's it. It's we hope that the power comes back. We hope that other people will hold our boundaries. And it's about grabbing that power ourselves and saying, hey, you know what? We have the responsibility to do this. We only have control over ourselves. In fact, we're the only person that does have control over ourselves. Just as much as we can't control other people, they can't control us. And we forget that. And that's why I say this, this energy, this power energy is available in any and every situation. It's a matter of how do we want to use the power? How do we want to harness it? What are you really proud of in your life? What am I really proud of in my life? I am really proud of this book. I have to tell you, because when I get people um, that call me out and they say, Gail, you know what? I, you opened my eyes. I didn't realize I was giving my power away in the situation, or I didn't realize that I was letting people bust through my boundaries. And I learned how to say no, or my headaches have gone away because I've, I've, I understand now how to take care of myself. That's what when I get really proud of the work that I've done, when I see people that are using their power and they're feeling good about it, and it's not creating adversarial relationships, but it's creating relationships that last. And I will say it ends some relationships. If relationships are people that are bad for you, if they're people that are just uh, using you, then that requires sometimes being able to say no to friendships. And, and when people can say that, I just, I, I just see them grow. I see them blossom. And that's when I get really, really proud of, of the work. This is my struggle. It's things I've struggled with since I was a little girl. People ask me, how long did it take you to write the book? And I say, well, you know, I wrote the book in less than a year, but it was a lifetime of learning. But to be able to see people take from what I had struggled with for so long, what I didn't understand and be able to use it. That's that just, to me, that's probably the biggest thing I'm proud of. I mean, there's my children, but that's the standard answer, (laughs) but this is, this is really something that I just love and, and, uh, feel very, very passionate towards. Do you you believe those things happen so that you would be at this point today? Do Do you believe in that or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every part of our life is a learning opportunity. It prepares us for the next part of our life. If I had not had that experience with those at work, if I had not been the youngest of uh, four children with 18 years difference, right? I would have not understood or had a struggle with power or understood it. And I believe that we experience things in our life that lead us to our true purpose in life. 
I feel like I'm living my purpose right now. And my purpose is to help other people, to add value to other people. And I can do that through this because I've chosen through my life not to say, oh, I'm a victim. And we talk, I talk about that in the book, right? You choose every day whether you're going to be the victim or a victor. I could say, I'm a victim. I'm the youngest of four children and I just don't have a voice. Or I can say, you know what? I'm the youngest of four children. I'm struggling with this. I can choose to be victorious over this. And when we look at life as um, an opportunity, everything's a learning experience. There's no failure in life. It's all a learning experience. We have to learn the lessons to move to the next level. And we get really, really down on ourselves and we think we fail and nobody fails. We don't fail. I heard a quote once that we can look at life in two different ways. One is if everything's a miracle and another is if nothing is. Well, if we can look at the things in our life that are that that aren't going well, the things that we struggle with, if we look at those as a miracle to be able to move us to the next platform, then we can. I, I like to think about driving a car. If I would have given the keys to the car to my son when he was 10 years old, it would have been a disaster. Right. He had lessons he needed to learn. He needed to get more mature. He needed to go through driver's ed. Right. I mean, there were so many different things he needed to do. And life is like that. We can't be given the keys to something that's further in our future without having the foundation to be able to build on it. And that's where our days, our lessons, our struggles, they come in. They're just teaching us what we need to do to move to the next plateau. How much is goal setting or guidance an important part of this? I mean, does it take a does it take somebody else, a mentor or or guidance from outside to help people to go through this process? Because I mean, self-reflection can be both easy but also incredibly hard, right? We can sometimes be the last person to spot our own uh, our own sort of opportunities or or sort of shortcomings. Well, I think that when we talk about power, you can claim and start using your power now. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to take a no. You can, you can go on and, and, and get the book and you can get the list and you can start, you know, start doing it today. I think to be, to learn how to be creative in certain situations that you're struggling in that you may feel stuck in um, an outside source to help you brainstorm about what you could be doing in those situations or hearing additional stories. That's where um, a coach could come in or, or somebody could come alongside you and help you with that and take a class. Um, but as far as actually harnessing it, it is super, super easy. You can do it in the next five minutes. I mean, just making a choice to spread out or, or not, or the way you tilt your head. That's the easy part. I think the harder part is the mindset that goes behind it. Mm. It's that, it's that, um, yeah. I mean, one, one is, as you say, one's, one's setting up a new habit, but then it's like a piece of clothing. You can wear the jacket, but it doesn't change the person. Right. Right. You know, as you said, it's changed the mindset within that says you're a different person or you have a choice to change, you know, change how you, you think internally, then you change how you show up as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of both. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's amazing how we've gotten habits and we play one of the the saddest things I see is the negative self-talk. You know, we've all been told things and we've accepted it about ourselves. And, and a lot of people who love us have told us things um, in order to try to help us. You're not good at that or you're, you can't do this with all of the best intentions. But you know what? That that it does not limit us. I mean, I I I was a horrible speller in school. You know, that stood in my way for a long, long time of writing a book. Well, guess what? I was still able to write a book. <laughs> With a spell checker. <laughs> With a spell checker. I mean, uh, there are so many, so many different things that, that we can choose whether we want to internalize or we can say, you know what? That's a great piece of information. I'm going to keep that in mind, but that's not who I am. That's not my purpose. And we, we, put out or, or take down to just a very small ember, the fire, you know, in our belly, right? That fire that's inside of us and we become smaller. So it's just a, a, an ember. And that's not what we're meant to be. We're supposed to be a beacon. That fire inside us is supposed to spread like a light to help any and everybody around us. And, and that fire is in us for a purpose. It's there to to not only be the best version and show up the best version we can be, but to help the other people around us be the best version they can be. Is there any organization or, you know, that demonstrates this particularly well, do you think? Well, one nice thing is we have a lot of diversity and inclusion, equity and inclusion trainings that are happening. And um, I don't know if there's there's particularly one organization, but I think people that focus on inclusion, uh, we when we teach it, we focus on inclusion because we're talking about respecting and including everybody and valuing other people. And you know, I'm not familiar with one organization that does it really well. Um, but I do know that there are, there are people and, and we do that in, in my company, we teach that on how to be inclusive, how to get some, past some old mindsets and how to look at things differently. We talk about people react in what we call the fast brain. And that's where we're working kind of on autopilot and things have gone, become habit to us. And we react in ways that we don't even realize that we react to them and sometimes don't even go along with our belief system because that's just kind of the way we've been taught and it's automatic and getting to the core of that is the way that we change things. And again, we only have the power to change ourselves. So it starts with being able to change one person at a time, being able to change yourself, taking control over yourself, how you're viewing other people, how you're responding to other people. And then, and then you can start change the, the whole. You mentioned there in the the extension of the book, um, you know, how to make every situation a win-win. Mm -hmm. Is the win-win part, is that a negotiation or is that a mixture of listening and responding accordingly? It's a, it's a matter of listening and responding accordingly. We also talk about negotiation because when you come to a negotiation, many people just come with the idea that they're going to get what they want. And that's not what it's about. 
It's about creating a win-win situation. It's about being curious. It's about listening to the other people. It's about coming to the absolute best solution for the problem that's at hand. It's also about forgiveness. Because when we talk about negotiation, we talk about win-win, we have to allow other people to be human. And if we hang on to unforgiveness, if we don't allow people to be people, because we are all going to make mistakes, we're all going to say the wrong thing at some point in time. And if we hold on to that unforgiveness, it actually becomes like a toxin in our own body. And we have to be able to forgive. And that's what I see a lot in negotiations is that you get people that don't want to forgive the other person where we're, you're not arguing your side of the point. We first of all, we, we approach negotiations all wrong. Um, we think it's to argue our side of the point. Um, very few. In fact, I've never, ever seen anything change because you uh, have somebody has told me that their side is a great argument or they've given me a great argument. That's not what changes people. What changes people and what changes situations are empathy, understanding, listening, genuine curiosity and approaching the situation to create a win win outcome around the situation, not about butting heads. Again, when that power goes and that dynamics go around, when we butt against other people, we don't have, we can't create long-term relationships. We can't recreate good outcomes because the power dynamics are off. I mean, is, is this, um, to, to be aware of this, I mean, the likes of mediation and, um, you know, arbitration, I mean, I imagine these are going to be very useful skill sets to be able to at least spot, you know, spot the actual habits at, at play, right? And they're natural to us. Remember I talked about the, the child, right, that's doing it? Um, we know how to respond to that, but we don't take those same lessons into the boardroom or into negotiations. And we look at the people around us and, and look at the dynamics that are happening. And we get so caught up in the intellectual part of it that we forget about the human feeling power dynamics that are happening. And when we do that, we miss it. And we miss each other. Harvard's, it's, um, have you enjoyed the process? Have you enjoyed writing the book? I have unbelievably enjoyed writing the book. <laughs> it was very therapeutic for me to actually be able to put it into writing and to actually think about what I'd learned over the years and what I could see other people do. Um, yes, it was extremely therapeutic. It was, it was a great, great exercise. Is there going to be more? You know, I'm as I'm going along. At first, I was like, "No, <laughs> you've written a book, so you burn know." The it's like, burn it's the like pens, burn the laptop. That's it. <laughs> and then you go, "Maybe just don't burn it. Maybe just yeah." <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, as I continue to talk to people and I see different areas uh, and things mm -hmm. come up, there's there's a good possibility there will be more. But this one just came out in October, so we'll we'll <laughs> we'll we'll talk about this one for a while. Yeah. So. Do you think, is is this fulfilling your purpose, do you think? Is this in, in line of what you're here to do? I believe for me, it is. Um, this struggle is for me was something that I had to learn and I had to work towards and, 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 and learn how to harness my own interpersonal power. But if you look around the world today, there are power struggles going on everywhere. 
And people don't understand power and they don't understand how to create win-win situations. They don't understand how to, they don't understand the law of power, that they're only they can only control themselves and they can't control other people. So I think the message is definitely something that the world needs to hear right now. And I think because of that, that was my purpose. That was my reason that I grew up and, you know, always felt like an outsider in my own family um, because uh, this message was, was something I was brought here to do. Our purpose is in life, I think, is something that we don't think about very often, but our purpose can be whatever we've experienced, whatever we've gone through that we can share and help other people with. And we talk about purpose a lot, but it seems like something that needs to be far off, something that, you know, as a goal we need to obtain. If I had set my goal to write this book when I was in my teens, the book would have never happened. Your purpose is being authentic and, and real in who you are right now, and then taking that purpose and helping other people with it. It's powerful, isn't it? You know, as you say, things happen at the right time for the right reasons, as long as, you know, you, you sort of be present in the journey. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. I think we, we, we just get, we get caught up in the wrong things. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes, well, we choose everything, right? We choose, we choose the good and we choose the bad. We just don't realize we choose it for different reasons, not good, not bad, just different reasons. And, yeah. and, and there's something for us to learn. There's a reason we chose it. There's something that we need to learn from that. How important is that? I mean, say you're using <clears throat> the likes and, you know, not that great example of walking into the, into the car showroom and, and, you know, the risk is you put your head down and you small, you know, you, you small yourself. I mean, how is it important to, to review why, or is it more important to correct the action and step forward? Well, always you want to look at why, you know, always you want to look at your own belief system about yourself it, because it, correcting the action will correct it in that moment, but it won't correct it long-term that's when you have to look internally. Yeah. So I call it, you have to take a look at your own belief system. You know, I call it your own BS, right? <laughs> um, your own belief system of, you know, why am I putting my head down? Do I not feel that I can be assertive? Do I not feel that it's appropriate for me to be assertive in the situation? Do I feel uncomfortable in um, expressing myself? What, what is, what's happening? you know, inside me, why am I, why am I taking that type of stance and what has fed into that type of stance um, and understanding that I can change that, but it starts with how I believe about myself. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is that difference between sort of motivation and transformation, right? You know, mm -hmm. We can be motivated for a while, but it's going to wear off. You transform, and then that should be a lifetime. You know, I, I, I say there's kind of three different ways to look at that. First of all, you got to examine the symptom. You know, um, are, you, are you doing something that you don't want to do, and why are you doing it? You know, and where did it come from? You know, I, when I work with people, a lot of times they have 
these type of reactions or they, they power down because they grew up with an alcoholic parent. So they approach everybody as, as if they're an alcoholic, right? Because they need to be small because they, they have this belief that, that, you know, everything has to be that way. That's how they have to behave. Um, when we look at, we identify the symptoms, we kind of look at the, the root cause, you know, what, what happened in our childhood? What's, what's pressuring us to continue to behave that way? Sometimes we behave that way because we've learned maybe past, maybe still, that there's rewards to behaving that way with, with certain people in our lives, right? Maybe you get more attention from somebody. Uh, maybe you, you, there's a payoff somewhere. So what's the root cause? What's your need that's happening inside of yourself? You know, are you needing to actually uh, feel like you, you need to give things away? Do you feel that that's the only way you can get love is if you're small? Um, there's so many different things. And then, then to actually just after you've examined all of that, then actually look at, and respond to people instead of reacting to them, then you can actually take it from the inside out. So much to learn. So much to learn. It's a journey. Life is a journey. <laughs> Absolutely. It's what's, what, what you make of it, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me if, if, if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly, then in one or two words, what would they be? Uh, my fire in my belly is, is adding value to other people, helping them find their own value in themselves. Um, my fire and my passion is just to help other people be the version that they the best version of themselves they can possibly be. So I don't know how to do that in two words. <laughs> um, passion and service. Passion and service. There you go. <laughs> Are you being the best version of yourself? Do you think? Um, I'm, I'm doing it. I think that that's a choice you make every day. I think that you don't wake up and you automatically, you know, you just, it just doesn't automatically happen. I think you have to make a choice to be the best version of yourself. You know, there are times I can tell you that I'm not the best version of myself. I have bad days too. You know, I get frustrated with people. I just have to stand in line. Um, you know, there are, but the idea is that we become the best version of ourselves the majority of the time and not beat ourselves up for those times that we are human and we don't make it there, but it's a choice. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of life to say, Hey, I want to wake up today. I want to grow. I want to be who I want to be and be the best version of myself. Yeah. Doesn't it a choice? It, it really is. Yeah. So tell us where can people learn more? hear more, see more, find out more. The best way to reach us is uh, at our website, gailrudolph.com. And I'll spell that because it can be spelled different ways. It's G-A-I-L-R-U-D-O-L-P-H.com. Um, if you go to our resource page, there's actually a boundary assessment you can take there, which uh, helps you understand where you're at with holding your boundaries. Um, there's a lot of resources on there. You can join our, our community. Uh, we'll be uh, 
doing some teachings and you can get our newsletters and you'll learn about new events that are coming up also from that page. And of course the book itself is available uh, through the website or through Amazon or other through the website, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you can buy books. Yeah. Yeah. So just to remind people, power up, power down, how to reclaim control and make every situation a win-win. So Gail, have you a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today? My final message to you is that power is available to you. Harness your interpersonal power. Love it. Play with it. Don't be scared of it. And, and have fun. Have fun in life. Beautiful. Gail, I thank you. I congratulate you on your bestseller status. And it's awesome. Well done you. And uh, here's to many more, hopefully, as well. So thank you for thank you. coming and sharing today. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I have so enjoyed uh, visiting with you. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.